Hello, and welcome to 10 Very Big Books, a Malazan read-through podcast, brought to you this week by Nook Incorporated. My name is Peter Bond, and I've read each book in the main series. However, my two co-hosts are reading the series for the first time. With me today is my friend and closest confidant, India Jones. Hello, all. And fan-favorite basketball superstar, Joshua Dean Baker. And yes, for the low, low price of 10,000 bells and a few turnips, you too can become a sponsor of Very Big Books. Hit us up. You don't even own the game, Josh, all right? Uh, But the number of people who've tweeted about turnips this week are so high that I know that's an important part of the game. Aren't turnips for sale this morning? Do you play Sunday morning? I do play. Oh my god, and you know the fucking times. God damn, I'm the only one not playing this game. I actually haven't... India, what's your island? Um, what's your starting fruit? Uh, unfortunately, jo- it's a freaking apple. Ugh. I'm oranges. Josh, you don't even play. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and, and it's called Bella Beach. Um, I named it after my cat Aww. daughter, Bella, obviously. That's so cute. That's beautiful. What about you? Oh, wait, Peter. I, yeah, what is yours, Peter? My island's named Chilja, and it has oranges on it. Do you? Oh, oh so you do get to pick the name on your island. Yeah, yeah. of course. Okay. Or an ambassador. Um, so far more important than that, um, so we record the podcast somewhat ahead of time to kind of give us a buffer sometimes in case we need to reschedule. So this is kind of the first time I would say we're really recording it in the midst of the full swing global pandemic, you know, mm-hmm. like we were in the buildup before, but, you know, we're all in our houses now and doing the social distancing and, you know, it's I don't, I don't even know what to say about it. It just felt like we had to acknowledge it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we're on um we're on week 2 for me of social isolation. I haven't talked to another human in god months. Uh <laughs> But um it's stay a weird inside. time. Just stay inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's sad. But listen, that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about Memories of Ice and we read uh, a much uh, much a much more um optimistic <laughs> You know, cheerful <laughs> thing. Then. Yeah, exactly. Let's get into the. We read this jovial party of a, of a siege of Capistan. Yeah. It was awesome. So, with that in mind, we did read chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17 this week, uh, which includes most of the siege of Capistan. Um, so, uh, let's get started. Chapter 14 Capistan is surrounded. The Panion army has been poised to strike for five days. Gruntle is drinking at an inn and Buke finds him. He has been healed by Crawley and is still working against the necromancers. Ekovian surveys the city and discusses the situation with Prince Jalarkin. The Talani Mass have defeated the Kachain Jamal, but are afraid. The Kron believe the Panion seer to be a Jagat. Additionally, one arm's host is five weeks away. It is impossible for them to evacuate the city of civilians. Afterwards, Ekovian watches Hedden and Kaffel prepare for battle. And after slipping away from Hedden's advances, Ekovian goes to the roof and sees the siege begin. Gruntel and Buke go to a nearby camp to search for Stony. She had volunteered to defend a city gate. Gruntel battles along Greysword soldiers corpses in the street and fireballs raining down above them. Gruntel rescues a cap and soldier and then sees Stony. She escaped a rapist and Gruntel shows her a way to a building to rest. Later inside the tenement, they talk about what happened 
a rage grows in Gruntel, and he goes back into the city. Itkovian watches the battle from the barracks. Catapults are striking the city, and Paninian soldiers have breached the gates only to be cut down. There is a brief reprieve, but the men prepare to battle overnight. Carnatus rides to the thrall, a hooded figure following. It is Corolli, who says he represents Krull and is here to claim his title. One of the priests will betray them. Ikovian oversees further troop movements in the city. He sees the Grey Swords recruit from before again. The Grey Swords have taken the northern gate. In the thrall, Carnatus suspects Rathfenir to be the traitor, and Kafal is meditating. Gruntel battles alongside a dozen Carpenthal soldiers, and a sergeant now answers to him. They fight off Erdoman and Scalandi. The western gate has fallen, and the city is being overrun. Itkovian speaks further with Brokelion, and the story of Gruntel at the west gate is described. A camp has been slaughtered. When Gruntel's group came to the rescue, Gruntel rallied them by lifting the body of a child. Gruntel surprised a further Beckleg group and battled on. Itkovian, against the wishes of the council, gives orders to hide the citizens in the underground tunnels. Gruntel and his group clear out the west gate with roughly 50 soldiers, their banner a child's bloody tunic. They discuss what enemies will meet them next, and Gruntel names his weapons Tiger Claws as they sharpen them. Ikovian meets them, informing them about the rest of the city, and Gruntel resembles Treach. At Botulin's estate, Buke is greeted by Botulin. They briefly speak of property taxes, and Botulin hopes to meet the children of the Dead Seed, especially an Aster. Botulin resurrects the corpses of nearby Erdemen, zombies now under Buke's control. The necromancers turn into crows and try to find an Aster. Buke, however, does not wait, and granted the power by Crawley, turns into a sparrowhawk that follows. They see waves of Teniscari and attack the mob, especially an Aster, but they retreat to the estate. Crawley quickly follows and makes himself look busy, establishing the estate's defenses. All right, I'm going to be honest. I don't know. There are some chapters I'm unclear about how to tackle the discussion towards. And mm. I think this is one of them, considering we churn through so much. Like, because this, I feel like this sequence isn't as much about different character points of view, but almost more about a chronology of it all, you know? Mm, um, interesting. So, because, you know, it's we're unfurling so quick, and sometimes we come to characters for just a moment. Yeah. Um, so, maybe let's first, I don't know. Do either of you have a good idea about how to go through it? I'll start with something. Sure. Yeah. So um, something I, I, I found uh, interesting is, um, I mean, we're already in a series where Erickson throws us between points of views so regularly, but this I found it interesting that in, not only were there points of views from different characters, but different characters had entirely different literal points of view of the actions mm. in the city. I thought it was really interesting to see, like, the kind of calculated disconnectedness that Itkovian had from everything, you know? He, he's just up top. He knows people are dying. He knows that there's parts being lost, but he's not seeing it, you know what I mean? Like, up yeah. close and personal. He's just making really, you know, just, like, objective decisions. And then you have, like, Gruntle, who's literally running through the city streets, saving his friend, and then just, like, going on a murderous rampage. And it's just a very different, uh, it's a very interesting difference in how the battle can be seen. Something I think Erickson does really well in this battle and in others is conveying 
like absolute chaos in the heat of it you know especially with what you're talking about by going through different places you see how disparate and un it's not like there's a lot of communication between these different units and these different soldiers you know and and you you really are there a lot of the times when some of them are learning about what's happening in other parts of the city and they're trying to evaluate what's going on i think Mm -hmm. it's uh i think it really puts you in their shoes in that in those moments yeah for sure well Oh, uh, so I'm kind of going off of that, and I also want to say it's um, and it's not just in this chapter. It happens in chapter I want to say seventeen as well. Um, it is like like you said, he's he's really good at conveying chaos. I like it is just so fascinating when care when characters are even like who fucking knows, man. Like that, like they don't know they don't know where things are, like what the situation at certain locations are, but like. Like you said, I I feel their loss. Like I feel like how lost they are, but I understand what they're trying to figure out. Like I'm I'm never just like I mean I've read a lot of books like this too, but like I'm never like completely lost. I usually have a pretty good image of like where things are going on, even if the characters don't. And what I think is good is sometimes at other points in the series when characters are confused, it's kind of I feel a little aggravated because I don't know why I am a reader need to be confused at this moment. Mm-hmm. But uh, me being confused and disoriented as a reader, I think is doing is such good writing because it puts us in the boots of those soldiers. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, India, we'll jump we'll jump in here. How'd this chapter hit you? Me and Josh are kind of bouncing off, but what 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 would you take away from this huge first chunk of the battle? For this, uh, for me, it was more of like I guess a setup chapter. Um, like, yeah, there was stuff going on, I, but I was not as interested in, in, in that chapter as I was, I think, in the following chapters, I, which is probably why it was so hard for me to get started on it. But I, I don't know. I feel like I don't love these kinds of chapters. This one's, but the later ones are actually a lot more interesting um, just because of the sheer sadness of them all. Oh, um, you get real sad, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I mean, in that way, more of your active characters are, like, spoiler alert, dying, um, which I think is just more interesting. I, I hate when books just keep all the main characters alive. But, yeah, I don't know. This chapter was pretty good. I do agree. I do think feel like it was putting a lot of things in places, and then the second half of the st- siege, where a lot of those things are falling apart, I, I do agree. I do agree with you, yeah. Yeah, like, it's a bit just... I'm, I'm not in love with set-up chapters. Um... So that would be my thought on that. I, also, we should edit this out, but I'm just curious. Um, Sony was like definitely full raped, right? Are you yes. sure she escaped? A ra- I think she was full raped, Peter, but it's so I don't think she yeah, escaped I, the rape. She, she, well, she was raped, was raped and, and I think escaped him as kind of what I meant to say was purvey in the summary. Oh, I didn't get and, that. I didn't get that. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to talk about it, too, because uh, I think it's worth noting. I could um, bring it up. No, I mean, we can just we we, we won't cut it out because I think it's uh, obviously an important beat in the chapter for both Stony and Gruntle. It's just interesting, though, because in it you don't usually see women rape men and that did happen in this book, yes. which I thought was very interesting that like, it doesn't matter who you are in this world. You're not, no one is safe. Yeah. It was so interesting. That was, that was just like, whoa, like I was not expecting that at all, but that's later on, I think. Oh, the, the dead seed thing. Yeah. yeah. That's some, that, no. he can, he paints a very vivid picture. 
Yeah, that's some particularly terrible stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, and I'll try and be precise with my language. I do find this sequence with Stony Manakis, um, I, I don't know. It leaves a sour taste in my mouth, and I think um, using the rape the rape of a woman to motivate a man in a story is a bit tired, you know. And I think that's a little. I don't know. I I I don't like that, and it's. I feel somewhat conflicted about it because um, I do think later on. I, I I don't. I'm not trying. I don't know. I'm just trying to speak on the issue. So forgive me, but. Later in the series, I do think they write about, Stephen writes about uh, th- this this moment and the, the consequences of it in a very interesting way, and it, like, resonates with me a lot. Um, but this scene, I don't know, it leaves a sour taste in my mouth. That's all I, I don't yeah. know. So, um, that's all I have to say. Same. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I didn't really think of it that way, though, Peter, which is interesting. Um, I guess maybe because I don't read a lot of books like this, I didn't know if that was, like, a common theme. But like for people to be re- like ready to go now because someone that they love was like raped. That's kind of. That's, I, like, I don't I think mean, it's just in this genre of books. I think it's kind of a bigger. I think it's kind of a bigger storytelling. I've thing never that read that. Sometimes I've never read that. But then again, yeah. I don't read books where people are even raped. So you know, mm-hmm. let's just move on. I'm done with this this horrifying topic. Yeah, it's. Uh, I just wanted to note that. I suppose. Yeah. Anyway, so although I feel conflicted about the beginning of it, Gruntle, the Gruntle's piece of this story is really kind of defending the West Gate, and he kind of like has like these tiger claws, and he has a whole defense force that quasi forms around him. So, Josh, how did you feel about this kind of on the ground Gruntle part of it? This is the coolest thing I've read in almost any book ever, and I love Gruntle. He's my new hero. <laughs> okay, tell that's, me more. That's my exact feelings. Because this is like how every good every good RPG is just like some no-name fuck and some like weaker no-names get together and have an impossible situation and then fight their way through and then like become, I don't know, some stronger band of soldiers. And it's the coolest shit ever to me. I do agree. It's, it's, major it's, RPG it's, vibes, you know, just and, like... And, and what makes it... The reason that this is a lot... That like Steve Erickson can do this and like it feels so sincere is that like there's just so much bad shit happening yeah that like this good thing is happening and it's not until three chapters from now like like while reading this i remember being like wild and then three chapters from now i remember like every time gruntle was in it i was just like my new favorite rpg character and all this all his good friends and like it was just such a slow burn for me but like this is where it starts where like you know he's his his swords are getting hacked to bits and they're you know i don't know i think it's the coolest thing ever but yeah. it can only be so cool because it is so like uh it's so like just honestly kind of fun and like out there that it's just like it stands in such stark contrast to you know the horrific stuff that's happening on the field of battle yeah yeah, that's interesting you say that you're describing it as fun. I almost feel like that sequence for me reads as much more like dire, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, at the end, looking back, it's like, this is so cool. In the moment, it's horrific. Like, like their yeah. people in their group die constantly. Like, they start with a good amount, and by the end, they have very few. But those very few are very cool. You could say they have a rotating roster, some in, some out. <laughs> So, sort of, yeah. Out, um, but yeah. Per- well, yeah, mostly permanently <laughs> out if they leave. Um, 
India, we check in sometimes with Itkovian as he is somewhat overseeing the city. Um, okay. And, and like uh, eventually they move the civilians into the tunnel and they kind of check in with different parts of it. How did you feel about that in this chapter? He was kind of like the in the crow's nest, so to speak. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to say something once and I literally don't want to hear anything about it from anyone. Okay. Except you guys, because this is going to be a hot, hot, hot take. I can't okay. tell the difference between the mortal sword, his whatever his freaking name is, Itkovian, pedestrian, whatever he is, and the other guy, if there is another guy. Okay. So I feel like I can try this. I feel pretty good. I mean, it's, it took me all four chapters to feel good. Okay. Hit me. All right. So the, the I think the first the first so the three titles are the mortal sword, the shield, anvil, and the pedestrian. Yeah. I feel like. I feel like the Destrian is the one we understand first, India. Is that it? Br- is like it's Br- that's that's the dude who like magics himself to death. Um, Carnatus. Yes, Carnatus. So that yeah, he heals everyone to death. Yes. Yeah, so uh, pretty funny. His name's Carnatus, and he works with a boar guard. It's kind of like Carnitas almost. So the mortal sword. So so okay. So the Destrian <laughs> is the magic guy, and he's the one who's most able to harness. The Warren of Fenner. Mm. Um, and, spoiler alert, it's really strongly hinted that possibly, I think, Haboric was, like, about to claim Destriant, maybe. I think. Mm. He definitely gets brought up at some point in these four chapters and hinted that he was very close to uh, being one of the top dogs for Fenner. Um, then, you have, Peter's like, I don't know if I can jump in on this one. Then you have the mortal sword, and he's basically the strongest fighter who, like, is basically... I, I I would say it's almost like being... I mean, he's the mortal sword. He's, like, almost the mortal representation of his god on the field of battle. But... Um, yes, yeah. Peter? Well, the two... Uh, you, I feel like you skipped the shield anvil, but I guess we can talk more about... I'm gonna go hit him last. I have a reason. Okay. The shield anvil is the one that we've known nothing about until this part. And the shield anvil is the weirdest one it's he can't feel for himself because he has to he has to carry the weight of of the world all of like the burdens of i guess everyone at some point it becomes everyone basically and so that's his whole deal is having the strongest willpower known to man is he the one And that's the three of them but okay so his name is also itkovian the other yes, guy, he's the shield Ecovian anvil. is the shield anvil. Mortal and sword he's, is Brokellian. He dies, name. and then yeah. Carnatus yeah. dies. Yes. So I knew every, I shield- knew who died and who didn't by the name that they were given at the time. It makes sense that Ecovian's the one that is alive and he's carrying on because he is the one who has to hold the burden of those around him, including his own grief of like his comrades dying. Yeah, and I knew that they died by their real names, but then they'd be like the Mortal Sword, and I was like, Ew. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know any of their real names besides Itkovian. Yeah, me. Yeah. That's how I felt. But okay, so anyway, thank you for that because it was pissing me off. Um, mm-hmm. And I've been actually reading the book, not the audiobook. FYI. Um, so, I know you bragged about it like two episodes ago. Yeah, and I'm just going to keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't really... Is he not the best fighter so he doesn't come out until later? Or like, why Who's was this? he just like up there? Well, he's a commander. Yeah, Itkovian. Aren't they yeah, all he's commanders? Also de- those those three people. I think I think Itkovian, his other like more physical duty is being the commander of the forces. Yeah. See, 
the more you know. The Mortal Sword is not meant to lead, like, from behind. He is meant to be at the front just fucking murdering people. Ah. Mortal sorting, I suppose. And he yes. was very good at it. I, I read a lot of things about uh, long knives and bellies and intestines and cracking them through the spine. It was really, really yeah. pleasant to read. Um, but listen, a lot of this stuff happens later on, so we can touch in on it then. But before we do, I just wanted to note that, uh, that we go to the thrall a bit in this chapter, Carnatus does, and we learn that Cruelly uh, is trying to represent Wrath Krull, and he worships Krull, and that they also think Wrath Fenir will be betraying them. So, Josh, how do you feel that you did not see the Krull Cruelly thing coming? Um, I felt kind of dumb. <laughs> I don't know. I definitely, I mean, we knew a couple chapters ago that he was an elder god. I can't remember what I called at that time. You did not call it. I mean, it's like one uh, letter away, but it's all right. Yeah. I did it, you know. Yeah, it felt, it was a little on the nose, Steve, if I have to be honest. <laughs> so. <laughs> but it didn't catch you, though, I guess. No, um, I did not. And I just want to say, uh, this, th so at the end of the chapter, Butte goes to, like, the Necromancer's estate, right? Yeah. And, like, it is this shit that I am, like, so fucking here for, and why I think these, like, I, I don't know, it's just, like, this is such a Steve touch, you know? The fact that, like, we're in the middle of this huge bloody battle, and then, like, we cut to Buke talking to them about property tax and how it's been rejected, and we, like, go into a brief overview of this tax errand. And I just think that shit's so funny, and I love, I don't know, it's just such a weird quirky touch to put into the middle of this huge siege anyway so then he turns into a sparrowhawk checks out of this whole thing we get an insight into what the necromancers are up to india what'd you think about this little button where they we kind of go into the skies above kapustan at the end of this chapter um i still don't understand what the necromancers are doing or what their plan is have they always been able to fly uh, i think this is the first time we see them turn into okay uh, i thought that was crows. that was odd I need to understand something. Yes. Because that whole section actually makes no sense to me. Um, other than the fact that they kill people, but I don't know why. So, is their goal clear and I'm just missing it? No, it is not clear. No, yeah, not at all. Okay, good. Second thing. Um, why, Karuli, has he all, what is his, explain him to me? He's a priest of Kroll. So. We also don't know, we don't know much about him either. But was he yeah, always he just with them? he's a mad chiller. Like when he was the one that they were escorting. He was the one that would like stay in his wagon and like pop out every now and again. Yeah. Okay. They didn't really know much about him. So why honestly. does he like, why is he giving, did he give the power to make the buke turn into a bird? Yes. Okay. He like healed his stomach and gave him the power to turn into a bird as all good medicines do. Yes, of, of course. Okay. And so, you know, then Peter, to be honest, I don't really have any, I don't have any, I know that they're like making, animating dead people. I just don't know why. And I don't have any thoughts on it yet. That works for me. Josh, unless you have anything to share, maybe we keep it moving. Let's pop on. Chapter 15. One Arm's host has found corpses of Kel Hunters and Talon Eye. Whiskey Jack speaks with Silver Fox and Corlat about them. Whiskey Jack is fearful of Silver Fox, wondering what she would do if Nightchill was in control. He briefly speaks with Krupp, but the commander is confused by everybody's plots and schemes. Others join them, and Kalor speaks of the Kachain Chamal history. Matrons act as brood mothers, and there was a primitive version of the race called Short Tails, whose resurrection ignited an intra-race conflict. 
Silver Fox says a Kachain Chamal matron is allied with the Paninian seer. Silver Fox wants to lead a war against both Jagat and Kachain Chamal, since the Kachain Chamal were tyrants before the Jagat ruled as well. Kalor doesn't believe Silver Fox, and Whiskey Jack thinks there's more at hand. Kruppa rambles on, and Kaladan Brood smashes his hammer into the ground, creating a sundering that bends around Kruppa. Whiskey Jack drinks with Dujek, and they speak more on the situation. Whiskey Jack thinks Kruppa's goading of Brood was purposeful to expose the poisoning of Burn. Perhaps Kruppa is to be trusted, and he is allied with an elder god. Word soon comes from Perrin's squad. The Mibe dreams once more, and when she wakes up, Corlat feeds her. The Mibe wishes to die, and she speaks of her frustrations. She throws a bowl of stew. Her daughter will not protect her, and the Mibe suspects her daughter to be working against her. Corlat speaks with Whiskey Jack about the secrets they both have. The Tist Andy and others are starting to respect the Malazans, and they both wonder about the conflict of personalities inside Silver Fox. They tease each other, and Whiskey Jack is afraid of losing her. Kruppa speaks with the two Marines from before, sharing jokes and food together. Later, he speaks with Cole Marilio, and he thinks mercy is coming for the Mibe. Crone visits Caladan Brood, saying Animander Rake has hidden Moonspawn in a strategic place. The Ravens think Capustan will fall, and the Seers in the south. They believe him to be a Jagat, and after her conversation, she leaves. Okay, Andy, we leave the besieged city and check in as Whiskey Jack talks with Silver Fox a lot about the Talani Mass and also the Kachin Chamal, and everyone, there's this big powwow, Kalor's an asshole, like he usually is, Kaladan Brood smashes the earth. Uh, well, what did you think about learning all this information and seeing some more, some more of the chafing of the leaders in the one Arms host? Um, that was fantastic. I think, there's a lot of things that I think. Um, first, I guess I want to start with Kruppa. I prefer. The one, the only. <laughs> He, Krupp, whatever his name is, he is truly the most annoying, confusing, like irritating character. And I love that they're all kind of now like, huh, he is really, really like, like he had, like there has to be something else with this guy. Like he's not just a a moron. And I'm so glad that they're all just kind of like, yeah, maybe he's actually smarter than we think. Maybe they're like, they, they know he's in on it. Yeah. And I'm like, Freaking finally, like, granted, I wouldn't have known, but it's just so annoying to see them, like, call him a moron and then watch him somehow, where we don't even know, pulling the strings somehow. So I'm kind of, like, happy that that's happening. I'm very excited. I do want to know what him and Silver Fox are doing. I really, I can't tell. Mm. Um, And I just, I wonder, like, what she knows about him. She's pissing me off. She needs to go see her freaking mother. Um, Preach. Uh yeah, I feel bad for the Mibe, Mibe, whatever. Um, she's just so, but like, honestly, her depression is like getting, like, she's just like so painful to even read at this point. I like want to skim it's, over her parts. It's so sad. Yeah. When, jumping right back to Kruppa really quick, when he like pissed off Caladan Brood and then he like pulled the hammer out and Kruppa was totally fine. <laughs> 
It was, I just had to laugh. Everybody gets thrown back like 50 feet or whatever it was. And, and Krupp's just chilling out. He's just like, why would you do that? Like, it was so <laughs> funny. Um, he's so annoying, but that was really funny. And lastly, Corlat. Yeah. Telling her story. No, not no. Later on to later on to Whiskey Jack or Yeah, I, I just I think I they're such a they're such a great little couple. I love them so much. And I'm gonna Yeah, they're kind of that. our first couple in the story. I mean, uh you maybe you could say a, a few others, but maybe this is like I don't this is the first real one I feel. You she know? refers to Whiskey Jack as lover, and I now refer to my boyfriend as lover. Is that true? <laughs> so I'll just um, leave it at that. Uh Josh what did you feel about, how did you feel about learning some more of this deep chain Chamale lore? It scratched an itch that is like, I wonder if, I wonder how these things happened 30,000 years ago. You know, like sometimes you just like wake up and you're like, God, the Aztecs, huh? And so like <laughs> this, this really did it for me. I was like, fuck yeah, I'm all about short tales and matrons and all this bullshit. Um, and also, now that I'm in book three of this series, I know that fucking everything that was in that history is vitally important and will definitely come up within this book or next. I will confirm that that will yeah. come well, again. Well, we, 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 we meet the matron, like, fucking next chapter. Yeah. So, um, oh, yeah, super, super, the show off. And then, uh... Uh, how did you feel about the mime? Uh, India s- said it was quite tough for her to read, but uh, you know, I I'm pretty bummed, and it's so kind of painful to see her kind of turn against her daughter in this kind of sorrow. You know, I skim it. It it hurts my heart too much. I have to skim it. Her daughter. I will. S- yeah. I mean, it is her daughter. What do you mean? I, I feel know. really bad. I know. I feel bad Why sometimes she because her mother. I think that she believes that if she visits her mother, she'll be actively sucking the life out of her like more mm. than she already is. And so she thinks that by being away from her, she is somehow helping her. Um, but also, if you really want to help your mom, Silver Fox, fucking like go up and be like, mom, I love you. And then hug her and then just jah, snap her Social neck. Distancing. And like, honestly, probably the best the best move. <laughs> Peter's what like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> it had to happen. It had to happen at some point. I think that that is, in this case, a beautiful <laughs> mercy. <laughs> That you should just euthanize her? Are you fucking kidding me? She's having a very bad time. I'm going to call your mother and tell her what you said. Uh. Oh, my God. Christ. <laughs> All right. And then, then at the very end of the chapter, India, we learn about where, what the animator Rake and Moonspawn is doing. We kind of get a dispatch. Peter, what, is, from... what is Moonspawn? I thought it was a place. It doesn't seem to it be is a, a place. It is a place. It just moves. I mean, it's a it's a it's a floating sky base, you know. So he moved it. Yeah, it moves. He That's the hit whole. It? Yeah, it was over pale, and then it was over. It was near Darugistan. I mean, the whole point yeah. is that it moves. Yeah, it's its whole stunt. Listen, I didn't. Okay, whatever, guys. He moved it. He moved it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you have a moon base, you just move you just, it around. You just go and... up into space and you, you move it, obviously. You turn into I, your dragon it's... self and you push it. <laughs> I don't think it's pushed. I think it kind of floats. And I don't think it's in space, let the record show. It's no, above. it's just yeah, like it's above, just above. The, the, the earth. Yeah, it's just in the sky, yeah. I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry for my ignorance. <laughs> um, Can I get one of you to read the next chapter summary? Josh is so good at it. 16? Hell yeah, it's the short one. Let's go. Okay. All right. Josh, Josh, you're so good at it. It's your best skill. Wait, what was that? 
It's you're so good at it, yeah. my man. I really like, want you. Here we go. Here we go. Tennis scoury flood Kapistan. The gray swords were trapped in a cemetery, it Covian included. The tennis scoury rush, slaughtering three mains of gray swords, and it Covian barely escapes on his horse into a nearby street, fighting them off. Brucalian and Carnatus arrive to save him. Gruntle's skin, striped with blood, looks like a tiger. Stani Manakis and a hundred others fight at his side. They have rallying cries as they battle in tenement. Brokillion has led them to the barracks, and Covian's wounds are being treated. A recruit comes to tell them that Rathfinir has invoked their god's rave, and the Greyswords must come to the thrall. Rathfinir has betrayed them, and despite that, they will stay true to their god's words and set out into the burning city, only to be surrounded by enemy soldiers. Edcovian awakes and watches in a vision as Brucalion and the other Grey Swords are slaughtered. Edcovian swears vengeance against Rathfinir. As a Sparrowhawk, Buke watches the battle rage in Kapistan. He sees Gruntle's defense and Panion's reaping and destroying the city. Edcovian has been healed, but Carnatus has been drained. He is a withered body and cold to the touch. The Grey Swords have only 137 soldiers left, and they will ride to Jalarkin's palace. Brood's army was six weeks away, and they only lasted three days, Ecovian laments, as they ride across the ruined city. They find Jalarkin's palace overrun by Tennis Scoury, the prince's skin flayed and stretched out on a cross. Anaster sits on a throne with his mother at his side, as Tennis Scoury feasts on human remains. Ecovian speaks to him, and senses the man's despair. Edcovian tries to take it on, but this scares Anaster, and he flees along with the other tennis scoury. Edcovian orders Jalarkin's skin to be removed. So Peter, what were your thoughts on um, the decision of Rukalion to kind of just sort of, uh, you know, accept, accept his path in life and kind of sacrifice? I mean... In my uh, sacrifice, not only in his life, but the lives of his own soldiers for the sake of honor and staying true to their God. Moron. Mm. The thing that I, I was feeling pretty good about it, you know, that it was like a really like, you know, he loved his God. He was making a decision about faith, you know? Yeah. Um, and then he brought in all his soldiers, which oh, I do purposefully. think I do think compl uh, complicates it for me, you know, because I guess in theory, they should all be worse, like pretty dedicated to but i don't mm -hmm. know i don't know yeah it's a big it, choice i'll say that it's a big choice to follow the fenrir's reeve once it's been evoked to go to the thrall you know uh, uh follow up uh if i had a friend who didn't know what a reeve was what would you say <laughs> um i would say it's a thing that fenrir has that they're very interested in That's oh what good <laughs> so is it like a code of conduct? Is it like I think it's a type of scripture is my understanding. Mm. But is that just a word here? Let's look it up. Um Oh, it went to okay, it went to open no. Alright. Reeve. Oh it uh nope, it's not a word in it, English. Is it like a type of party you go to on drugs? In French, it's a it means a dream. Uh here, let's try uh God. Irish. Nope. Josh Josh, we're making a podcast right now. We can't just have you googling things. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Keep going. 
India, why don't you say something funny or interesting? That could be good for the show. Arrive is nothing. It's just not a fucking word. No language uses it except for French, and it, it's a dream. Um, so, I'm sure. Steve over here making shit up. So, and you were gonna say something funny or interesting for our show? Yeah, I was. I was actually just um, gonna say that I thought it was really stupid that he would go purposely to his death, it, knowing that he was going to his death. And then when the girl's like, "Why would you do that?" or the guy, I don't know who, I don't know who said it, but then he was like, "Well, who else? What? Why, why else do you need revenge? Like, we need something to avenge." And I'm like. Uh, it doesn't have to be you, guy, or all these other people. Like, give them the choice. Like, just because you have some kind of, you know. Yeah. I, I don't even know what the word is. But I agree. I'm now on team. Broccolian should have rode out alone and died. That seems like yeah, a sensible for sure, choice. For sure. Yeah, like they didn't call you know, here's everyone. A question. Oh. They called you. Yeah. Now, here's a question. At this point, have they, I can't remember, is it is it while Brucallion dies? Is that when Itkovian finds out that Fenir has come to Earth? Um, or, you know, no, that's plane? later. Perrin tells him that in the next chapter. Okay, okay. That makes it feel less bad, because I, I, at least at this point, they don't know that Fenir is, like, fucking out, you know, no. doing his own thing. He said, fuck this. It's at the start of this chapter that we actually see a Covian kind of in combat for the first time, and he takes some serious hits. He crushes it. Oh, um, yeah. I can't believe he's fucking stayed up. And that horse deserves every award I a thought the horse, horse died, but it didn't. It did. Oh, it did. It did. It did. No, I thought one of the horses I died. I thought his horse died. I think, I think you can posthumously give horses awards. I don't know why you couldn't. I'm so pissed yeah. off about the amount of horse death, and I'll say it again. It destroys me. Um, but yeah, he did take some nasty hits. I thought he was dead, but mm-hmm. then he didn't die. India, please confront Steve about it. I am, I am. And he's going to be like, well, India, what else should they do? And I'm going to say, you know what? They should run. They should freaking run. They should make cars. Um, they should use their carriages. They should pull their own. Did you say make cars? Did you slip make cars into that? Yes. More importantly, yes, did. They, can't, they can't use okay, the carriages. Good. If they, shouldn't they? Okay, anyway, sorry. Listen, um, <laughs> I, I don't make the rules. I just give ideas. So, uh, so um, I'm trying to so, figure out where to go. Can we just talk okay. about that guy dying? Yeah, Broccolian totally eats it. We said it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but like, that was super chill the way you said it. Like, that was like some pretty brutal shit, you know? They like yeah, chopped he him does up. Get, he, he, he does get mad murdered. Pulverized. Okay, I guess you I guys guess don't care yeah. about it. It's fine. I, I guess I don't. You know, you caught me red-handed, so... I think he's a fucking idiot, so uh, we like, don't feel, oh. I guess he got what he got. I hear that. I hear that. I hear that. Fine. Fair. Fair, fair, fair. Um, we do see that Gruntle and Co. are painting their faces like tigers now, which is pretty fierce. I didn't even read that. It's so funny that- Wait, say that again? They fa- yeah, they paint their faces like tigers. Oh, yeah. It's never- ac- Okay. All right. Now, here's a couple questions I do have. Yeah, because we don't go the coolest, full the coolest tiger thing mode. in any book I've read, maybe, as you know, Gruntle's transformation into the mortal sort of of a uh, Trake Treach Trake Treach. They're the same. They're the same, right? Okay. Why not just have two names of the same god, Josh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fuck me, am I right? Uh, okay, so like, he gets these stripes on his face, but like, how does the blood magically get in this perfect? And it's like up and down his arms and shit. Like, how does the blood just like naturally flash onto him like that? Uh, magic. Fucking magic. Okay, good, good answer. That's all. <laughs> That's all. And his swords become white from use. That's not how metal works. Listen, I'm just I, I, if if there's another answer that isn't magic, but I'm feeling pretty strong with the answer being magic. Yeah, that sounds about right. 
at the end of the chapter, India, Itkoven goes to the prince's palace and we see a total slaughter. The prince's skin is hanging up. They're like eating a bunch of people. Anaster's there and being all taunting and he really sitting crumpled on the like a little, you know, child though. Yeah. So then Itkovian's like, oh, hey man, seems like you're hurting. And Anaster's like, no, I'm like a really strong I'm dude. Fine. And then he leaves. <laughs> I'm totally fine. I'm crumpled in a ball now. Leave me alone. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Let's leave. <laughs> we won this one. Yeah, <laughs> get them, guys. Kill them all. So, how? Did, what did you? What did? You, what did you make seeing the the ruins of this prince's keep? I'll be honest. I wasn't that attached to the prince. Um. So yeah. You know, it was just like kind of another, another. You know, ugh, that that sucks. Don't want to be that guy. Situation. But, um, don't want to be skinned alive. Yeah, he wasn't alive. He was, no, they killed him first. They said it. Oh, okay. They're not without, <laughs> they're not without compassion, Peter. I don't want to be skinned either way. It's my yeah. official party now, line. Now, hold on. Can I... I want to jump in here real quick. Because I, too, don't give a shit about Prince Trelarkin. I'm glad that we can so do you know what I that. do? Do you know what I do give a shit about is this mysterious castle that every character is just like, the architecture. I wonder what it could be. <laughs> ah, well, keep going on with my day. And you know it's hyper important that the architecture matches fucking nothing else. And it's like, but what book is that going to be important? Is it this one? Is it four books from now? We find out how this goddamn castle was built. Like, <laughs> Steve keeps that's you guessing. what I care about. You are yeah. literally always thinking like 10 steps ahead of me, Josh. I'm like, oh, yeah. I, I guess it is a cool I've just got to know. The architecture. The architecture. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I thought that was interesting. And then Colvian's like, oh, he's just made of sadness. So if we take all the sadness, he'll die. Which like, also, wait, why is his mom like hysterical? Like insane? Yo, it is weird that he's hanging out with his mom. Like, I know that, I, I know we were way. pro moms earlier with the Mibe stuff, but this... Well, depends what different pro kind mom. of mom. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot you advocated <laughs> for murdering your mom. Um, uh. But this... The him hanging out with the moms is bad. Bad news. Bad time. news. But and then like the people walk in and she gets up and screams and like runs over yeah. to him. Yeah. It's like, well, girl, like, aren't you confident in your abilities? <laughs> no, she's not. Clearly not. But I just did. Like, I expected the moms to be like, you know, so, like, well, I guess that is kind of psychotic, but like less panicked. But I guess all moms yeah. at the end of the day, they just panic. But I don't know. All mm-hmm. the tennis gallery are almost like feral, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that's kind of what makes them so scary in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're gross. I don't like them. They don't think like you would expect a human to think. Yeah. Well, Josh, do you have anything to add, or should we move into the final part of this scene? Let's, let's get into the end, baby. Yeah, so much happens in the end. Can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, it's insanity. Indy, you want to take this chap? Oh, yeah, Indy, you want to do it? Actually, I'm not the best reader. Um, you see, I didn't, I didn't, I don't work in like a job where like I read things that often. I'm more of like computers, you know? So I think that you guys, as the teachers here, are actually giving like the best. Oh. And honestly, look, I teach music. I barely fucking read at all. So Pete, I can really. Chapter 17. <laughs> Chapter 17. In the Daman, Tok's torture continues. The Kachain Chamal matron is causing him great pain. The Panyan seer speaks in his mind, taunting him, saying that they will soon travel. However, Tok sees a vision through Baljag. Tool battles a Kel hunter and calls Tok's brother. The seer is transporting them through Amtos Felak and is frightened as Lady Envy assaults the Warren. Perrin has reached the flaming ruins of Kapustan, 
He speaks with humble Trow. Trots will lead the bridge burners first into the city, and the Bargast is first in command of the squads. Once again, Perrin feels Silverfox attempting to make contact, but he is afraid of her. They march on, taking cover, and soon battle begins. The bridge burners make quick work of the camp, but it is a bloody battle, and Perrin's first in a way. In the north of the city, they see the defense the Grey Swords mounted, and Perrin is impressed. They reach a defended tenement, and Gruntle greets them, but soldiers all marked with tiger stripes on their faces. Picker gives him the torques of Treach, and Gruntle dons them. He speaks of their defenses, and Ansi glibly declares that the bridge burners have arrived. The Bargast have defeated the Septarch soldiers on the river, and Stoney speaks to Picker. They speak briefly about Trake, and that Stoney is sworn to Crowley's god. Picker then confronts Perrin and asks about Silverfox. Perrin dodges a question, and Ansi nearly attacks him. Mallet stops the brawl and says the captain has not been conspiring with Silverfox, but refusing the attempts at contact by her. Perrin is not keeping any secrets. On the roof, then, Perrin sees a vision of Fenir being brought into the mortal world. The captain feels manipulated by elder gods and calls out to Nightchill. He speaks with her and understands her as the sister of the Cold Knights. He speaks with the elder god about his journey into Dragnipur. She speaks of her brothers, Draconis and Kroll, and that Draconis is the one within Dragnipur. Nightchill asks Perrin to destroy Dragnipur to free her brother and perhaps the other souls within the sword. They speak more and then he awakes, only a few heartbeats have passed. In Jalarkin's palace, Itkovian speaks with a recruit named Valbara, who is now a true soldier of the Grey Swords. They leave the palace and speak with the remaining Grey Soldiers. The shield anvil starts to travel to the Thrall, speaking with the Bargast. Crossing the site of Brakulian's slaughter, Itkovian encounters Gruntel and identifies him as the mortal sword of Trake. Itkovian speaks with Perrin, and the captain tells him that Fenir might be dead. They go into the Thrall, and Itkovian evokes Fenir's reeve, but Rathfenir denies him that power. They drag Rathfenir down, and Itkovian acknowledges his god's death, and cuts off the priest's hands. Itkovian is offered to serve Trake, and he rejects it. He is not yet done. Rathfenir tries to escape, but the shield anvil grabs him and absorbs the man's pain and suffering. He sees the entire life of the priest and understands the horror and grief of the man. An alien presence inside the man confuses him, but opens a Covian soul up, taking the suffering of all those who died in Kapustan. Ikovian accepts this so their souls may move on from this life. Itkovian falls to his knees, his helm falls off, and he goes unconscious. He wakes up and speaks to Perrin. Outside, Gruntel watches Perrin speak with Itkovian and Mallet. Gruntel confronts what it means to be the mortal sword of Trake. He does feel like he has just woken up, though. He hasn't remembered most of what has happened, as if a great rage fell over him. He speaks with Stony, only to have Wrath Trake interrupt, calling Gruntel the Whiskered One. Picker talks with other bridge burners as they recover in the square. Humbral Tower lifts his axe and leads the Bargast into the thrall to meet their ancestors. The Sparrowhawk of Buke watches the Pinions retreat from the city. Buke decides to remain a bird. He takes to the sky, 
and finds peace. Well, Josh, before we get back to the ending of the Siege of Kapustan, um, we check in with Tak as um, they're moving about. Lady Envy's attacking Antos Folak. We kind of get a peek at Tool. Um, how did you see, how did it feel to check in with him in this kind of brief moment? Loved it. Uh, I mean, pretty horrific, you know? Uh, I mean, okay, a couple things. One, as I said in the last chat or two chapters ago, we learned all about the Kashin Shamal and shit, and then immediately it's revealed, oh yeah, this is a Kashin Shamal matron. So it's like, okay, she's unbelievably powerful. Good to know. Yeah, really uh, We definitely know that the the seer is. We know we like it's super duper confirmed that it's a Jaga, and potentially we know which jagged it is. I think, or like it's alluded to that it could be like one of the ones that got sent into that rift i think i can't remember i read this like a week ago um you're giving that's me nothing, what i Peter, thought so. too yeah i think i think we're, we're kind of getting that hint Intra- I, i'm very curious uh my main thing is that like how the fuck can talk see stuff you know what i mean like we we don't know yet so i'm His very third excited eye, i thought yeah but like I mean, great, India. <laughs> like, but why does he have a third eye? What's it mean? All this stuff, you know? <laughs> India, you're but becoming Josh, one of I, them. If I, too, put a, made an eye sign on my head, would it help? Yeah, there. Oh, now it makes sense. <laughs> so, I don't know. I mean, it's pretty cool. I am very curious where he's going and, like, what that means for the rest of his story. Because um, I didn't, I'm going to be honest, I did not expect the seer to, re- to have to retreat so quickly to just, like, and like he's like super scared of Lady Envy, so uh, I'm I'm excited to see where that goes. I love Lady Envy so much. Oh, pretty envious of her, honestly. Honestly, she feels that power so well. I feel bad for Talk. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. I Terrific. Like he must look. I don't know. So also, ridiculous. oh oh, I never I remember. Okay. He's definitely gonna come out of this not looking like a human, right? Like they're I agree. I was just like to he say. like he his bones are getting crunched and then he's it says they're healing like in these in weird shit. So like that's fucked. So he's definitely gonna come out looking like some sort of monstrosity. I will say this, you know. I think they'll fix him. I, I think you should try anything once. I've never had all my bones smashed to be healed again. So I'm just trying to be open minded about it, you know? Right, Honestly, that makes sense. Just reading that sounds like so like i really i hate it i hate it so yeah much. it's it's fucking awful but why do you say that like she's like super super like um powerful this per- <laughs> well we, when we learned about like, the change from all matrons like, like in this because like it doesn't seem like she's really doing like anything i think it's like this if i had to guess i think her mind is kind of broken right now is what it sort of sounds like like i don't think she is i don't think the matron is operating at full mental capacity and so i think it's and and it sounds like if a matron does have full mental capacity they have the ability to just like create an army of kachin shamal and just like fucking ruin the earth um And it's kind of, it seems kind of like the Jagat is trying to use the Matron, but like, I, I don't know. I, I think can if, she, I think, go ahead. I don't know. I don't know where I was going. That's what can, I think. I've not, I've not read the books. Can she come out of that thing, Peter? I don't know what she, what are they in? Are they in like a are Warren? They in are they Warren? And can she get out of it? They're traveling through Antos Felak right now. But where is she when she's not? Like, I thought that is they she like, is she something. physically there with talk, like in a room? Or are they just in somewhere else? I'm going to have no comment, I feel. Okay. okay. I've been struggling to figure that out too, India. Because she oh. seems really big, so I'm just not sure how she would fit in, a, in an average space. 
Yeah, she. <laughs> yes. I mean, she's a giant dinosaur, right? It, that's what I, I. I keep picturing her as like this giant person, and then Tuck just sits somewhere in this area. Yes. Yes. Like from this size to this size. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, back to Capistan for now. So, uh, Perrin is approaching the city, India, and uh, he's a little nervous about the battle, and he's kind of he's been rejecting Silver Fox trying to reach out to him. And then we see a kind of battle break out, and they get into the city, and they meet up with Gruntle. Um, how did it feel to kind of have the bridge burners appro- uh, finally join Capistan's? Um, I feel for the bridge burners because. They, they've just done this whole journey and they've really just gotten there and it's kind of just like a horrible mess, um, yeah. to say the least. So I think um, it's exciting to finally, like I love the, the these parts of the book when they all actually come together and they're all, um, like I feel like at this point, this is when things start to make sense. So yeah, um, I'm excited about that. They had a lot, and we'll talk more about their obvious conversations that they had like later in the chapter, but... I think that this is where we're going to start finally, hopefully, understanding things and wrapping things up. Um, I feel like actually we have a bit left, though, so probably not. I don't know. I just hope that in these coming chapters um, and like overall, things just start making sense because I am just very, very confused. No. I do know what you mean, and I don't know about you guys. Definitely when I first read the book, I was like, well, things seem pretty bad in Capustan, but I guess like the bridge burners and one arms host are going to show up and like kind of save the day. Exactly. Yeah. And like they do show, like the bridge burners do show up and kind of save the day, but like kind of after the huge loss and uh, the entire city was destroyed. So like kind of a false victory, if you ask me, you know? Yeah, I agree. And I feel like that. Like, I don't know if that keeps happening, but like, I feel like in many situations, or maybe those weren't the bridge burners when everything was supposed to explode and then nothing exploded. It's just like, they like gear up for this crazy thing and then nothing. And then it's just like, oh, all right, got it. Yeah. I think you're talking about the end of Garns of the Moon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Josh, then on the rooftops, once we get into the city, Perrin talks with uh, Nightchill after having a vision of Fenir and we learn a ton of stuff yeah this this i I don't know if andy had the same like kind of feeling of revelation but this cracked open so many things that i've been like on the edge of understanding um i want to say you call i called the fucking dragonpur thing a while ago you called the dragonpur thing a while ago i felt very good when it was confirmed yeah and yeah again though much like the karuli krull thing you know I didn't get that the sister of the whatever was Night Chill. Cold Nights, Night Chill? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, and they're even like, yeah, Night Chill, the Nikki's popping up for centuries. Centur-. And I just didn't fucking get it. So yeah. felt a little dumb. But I mean, what a fucking reveal that like in this one body is not only uh, Tattersail, speaking of Silver Fox, inside this body is not only Tattersail, a very powerful mage who has like, a huge amount of humanity left, which they keep saying is like fucking wild that she's a good human, and yeah. a goddamn elder god, like yeah. in one body, plus the fucking other things that are in there. I always forget who else is in there. It's kind of a There's whole stunt. the memory of Ballardin. Yeah, but... it's a whole stunt. But that was, I mean, it was crazy. Uh, I did not, did not expect to get that much info. Um, and oh. also, like, 
Perrin has to fucking destroy Dragon Per, which seems like a whole thing. And yeah, Nightshow's India, like, yeah, what do you, you think would, about yeah, that? Yeah, and like they're like, well, you would, it would release everyone and everything that's inside there, which is probably countless numbers of horrific people. But like, we would get Dragna Per or Draconis back, which is necessary. Wait, yeah, India, what do you think of the plan to crack open to destroy Dragna Per? Perrin gets asked to do her a favor, you know? Yeah, um, I mean, that's where he was before, right? He was in there. Yeah, it's when he saw all the sad dogs pulling the the big the big yeah, bad box with the all the sad thing people. That ever happened. Um, I hated yeah. that. Didn't he go in there and take the like? Why can't he just like go back in and then take out the guy like he did last time with the dogs? Like, why do why do we? Have yeah, to, I think that was kind of a, a one time thing. I think it was kind of a fluke how he got into the sword. Yeah, because yeah. he like touched the blood of the dogs who just died, and you know. Well, I think that that's going to prove to be a big issue, and I think that. That's Anamander Rake's thing. Yeah, I yeah, just don't think he's sword. gonna be cool yeah. with it. I just, I don't think it's gonna be. A, I don't think he's gonna be very. Yeah, I have a feeling he's not gonna love this. I idea. think he's. He might be a little bit upset <laughs> about it, and I don't think that I'd want to be the one tasked with doing it. So there's always the the word mm. no, but you know, parents just a moron. So yeah, I think this is one. Of, uh, I love this scene. Um, for one of the, I don't know. It's just so. It's a great scene to hear her speak, kind of so truthfully in a way, and it's always great to be honest. When, like, someone says something that you want to hear and explains anything that's going on, (laughs) instead of, like, just dropping some cryptic riddles and then, like, going up in smoke or something, you know? But it was just nice to see her and kind of touch on that prologue, which I love so much. Elsewhere in the city, uh, the unnamed recruit finally gets named Velbara, and I like how she kind of symbolizes those recruited soldiers who kind of get so battle tested in this oh, uh, yeah. thing. And don't die. Yeah. They they survive, you know? <laughs> um, and Ekovian then comes and speaks with uh, Perrin, kind of learns about Fenir being brought to the world, and then there's this huge confrontation in the thrall, and uh, I don't know. There's so much happens here. He confronts the priest, cuts his hands off, absorbs all his suffering. Um, Josh, what did you make of all this? It was one of the single most confusing things I've ever read in my entire that. life. Oh. I like I was hanging on for dear life to try and like figure out exactly what was going on. Um, here's here's about what I got out of it. Itkovian is going to be irreparably changed and probably end up being super powerful or important now. That's about all I got. I don't know. I don't really understand why. I get that he accepted the suffering of others, but like that also seems like it's going to break a motherfucker. So I don't know how he, I guess he's the shield anvil, you know, it's like his job to to do that. But it seemed like a lot. So I have a quote I, I want to read. Well, the, well, but I while you get to it, I do just want to say sick that we learned what happened to Hiboric's hands. Yeah, now we know. I, agree. I, I do think it's cool to kind of see it firsthand. Yeah. So first hands, am no I right? All righty. My quote I was going <laughs> to read is, <laughs> he is the shield anvil. Fenir knows grief, so much grief that it is beyond his capacity to withstand it. And so he chose a human heart, armored. A mortal soul to assume the sorrow of the world. Mm, fucking and I th- crazy. Yeah. And I think this is where I would like to announce I've recently adopted Itkovian and he is my son. And um, mm. because I just love this this boy and he I feel I just love that he is here to accept the sorrow of other people. He just wants to love a master and like feel for him. And this priest, he's like, no, let me feel you're sorry. He accepts everyone's sorrows. It's just so meaningful to me. And um, uh, that's all I have to say about it. You know, I just love this child, you know, incredible. 
This child. Um, <laughs> India, what did you think of this uh, sequence in the thrall? So I, from the beginning, these wrath, whatever, I, I did not understand them. So if we could just take a few steps back, maybe. So is he or is he not what he like really... Um, a priest of whatever like is he or is or was he lying rath fenner yeah he i think from my understanding was a priest but not wasn't the destriant because carnatus was the destriant Mm -hmm. you know Um, so he like falsely claimed a higher title within the priesthood of fenir okay great that's what i understand someone seems accurate correct me if i'm wrong then yeah i don't know i mean i don't really these parts of the book don't really spark particular interest for me um i don't think don't say that about my son i'm sorry i'm sorry no i know but we, we also maybe i'll love him like no i think he's great i don't have any issue with him it's just like the whole sequence of yeah the gods and this yeah now this would like i just don't i don't i don't relate this this was my limit of uh, yeah this was my limit of strange ethereal bullshit like i can't I can't handle much more things than that in one paragraph. I have, I'm more upset about this than the murdering your mom thing. You know, I'm like, I'm anti-murdering moms. Let the record show. But, um, I think, I, I think this sequence is, I don't know. This is to me the, the, the cherry on top of the Capustan Sunday, you know, the battle's great and all. But it like really comes to a head when Ekovian's here and is with all these other priests and he just like he accepts their suffering, you know? Why though? It, um, it is I'll say this, it's beautiful. I'm just saying that like my brain really struggled to really like get all the information in that it was trying to that this book was trying to give to me. That's what I mean. Sure. Yeah. All right. Sorry, Peeb. No, it's all good. So <laughs> elsewhere. Outside, like, there's this big, you know, big climax. He falls unconscious, you know, um, his home falls off because he just loves people too much. Um, And then (laughs) then they go outside. And uh, Gruntle is, like, kind of, he's been identified now as the mortal sword of Trake. And he was talked to earlier, and he kind of talked about Fenir a bit. So, uh, India, how did did you kind of hit, because I know Josh was really enthusiastic about it, kind of Gruntle throughout this whole battle becoming the mortal sword of Trake and like he's a full tiger warrior now, you know? Yeah, it's great. He's the whiskered one. The whiskered one. Um, (laughs) I mean, it makes sense with, you know, that whole bullshit that he pulled. That was pretty great. He did cool thing. I don't know. Like what, what do you mean? What are you asking? Like, I guess that's exciting. Again, it's, I'm I'm not in it for this content. (laughs) I really, Mm. the statuses and, what it takes to be something else really is so confusing and makes no sense to me. Like, okay, he led a group of people to killing the bad people and lived, and now you're this. Now you're the mortal sword of the tiger. Like, okay, he's the he's the he's the whiskered one. He's the whiskered one. Like, yeah, I too agree that it is it is very vague and obtuse the method for becoming it, but just like. How cool is that? He's a tiger guy now. No, yeah, I definitely agree. How how sick is that? um, You could call him the Tiger King. Like, I guess, like, maybe this will... Oh, fuck, we didn't even talk about Tiger King. Oh, God, I've not seen that. See what's happening right now. Just very, on on a side note, does anyone recommend? I'm two episodes in, and it's so good, I purposely stopped so I could watch it with my girlfriend, uh, because I need someone else to just experience the insanity that is the show with me. 
I mean, it's like a true crime documentary. I don't think it's gonna like change your life, but true it's like crime is so fucking reductive. But it's a pretty it is the story wild of the most story. interesting man to have ever existed, and the entire cadre of fucking interesting people that exist in the world of big cats. Anyway, <laughs> and then at the very end, Josh uh, Buke as a sparrowhawk flies up to check on the end of the battle and then just decides to, you know, he's, he's done. He's going to live a life as a bird. And that's the end. Sure. I didn't care about Buke ever. So this is fine. I kind of like that part. I think he deserves it. I do too. I think that's a really nice ending for him to kind of just like accept like, no, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to. But how fucked is it that in this series, a person deciding to give up their fucking sentience to be a bird is a good ending. Are you kidding me, Josh? His whole, his whole, we started the story and he was like trying yes, to die I know, I know, on purpose. I know, I know, I know. But this is like the, He's the pinnacle. He's life, Josh. This is the pinnacle of like a good ending so far in this book series. And that's crazy. And I agree. I think it's like, a, it's a, one of the times where a character really gets kind of a beautiful ending. He becomes a beautiful bird and flies into the sky. I guess. What a way to, yeah. I mean, will we ever see him again? Or is he, this is. Shh. Spoilers. Or is this it? Is it for the Birdie Buke? I feel like this is it for Buke, but I, I don't do know. I do too. I mean, it's better maybe than in dying. The, maybe in the maybe in the pivotal battle, Gruntle's like fighting for his life, and a fucking Sparrowhawk dives an enemy and gets fucking swatted to the ground, and we'll know it was Buke. <laughs> so before we wrap up, I guess I just want to ask you guys overall, what did you make of the siege of Capustan as this kind of major set piece? I'm so excited you asked that. <laughs> It's because here comes the dunk. Let's go. Here we go. <laughs> she's rushing down the court. She's on a breakaway. <laughs> <laughs> my question, my my freaking comment is, what even happened? They're still there. Where are the people? Did are are were they actually? Did they win? Did they lose? Yes, people are dead, but a lot of people are alive. They're gone. What? What? Is, why don't you answer that question, Peter? Because I don't know. Sure, I'll answer it. I uh, love the siege of Capistan. I think but it's, was it um, sieged, Peter? It was absolutely sieged. But did they so, win or did they lose? Well, I would say they lost, and then the city was retaken by uh, Malazan soldiers. You know, um, huh. I think to me. I really love a lot of the Ekovian stuff, as I mentioned. Um, you don't he say. is my child, and um, <laughs> and I think he's an old the, the, man. The, the, man that you're calling your child. The yeah, don't don't squint, don't look too hard into that. You know, um, the 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 Gruntle battle stuff is pretty fun. I'm, I wasn't as enthusiastic about Josh, but uh, as Josh, but I love. I think the Buke stuff really popped to me this time through, and I kind of just love the sprawling chaos and how I think to convey the experience of an entire city being sieged is uh, seems like a difficult task, and I think Steve does a great job at it, and I think that's why I remember this section so well. Josh, what did you think of it? I loved it. Um, sieges are really, I don't know, most times, like, sieges are long, and they and they really draw things out, but this was just, like, a fucking one and done, and it was, it was crazy. I would argue they won, personally, by the way, because there were sections, there are sections of the city that never gave up fighting, the tunnels underground were not breached, 
So I would I would argue that the the city won personally. Like yeah. They well, what do you think the lot. prince would say about that? I think the prince was a fucking idiot the whole time. So yeah. I don't think the prince the, would say the anything because the prince yeah. is dead. Here's what I think. I think when they skinned him, they found a fucking lack of backbone in him because he had no <laughs> spine it, the whole goddamn it, book so far. It, Josh, I agree. Maybe yeah. had he not been listening so. to those damn wrath priests and really been listening to the people that he should have been listening to. This could have been avoided, but no, no, exactly. no, we're all going to be fine. We're all going to be fine. Like, look at you now. Yeah. Jalarkin, more like mm. Turducken. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what? I was, I was like, where's she going? She set herself up for some pun and I don't got it. <laughs> I was in the same boat. I was like, you are not landing this. <laughs> oh my God. All right, and now with that, uh, with that comedy gold, um, you can, uh, I guess, email us and let us know if you think. I guess I feel like they lost and won eventually, but I don't know. Let us know what you think of the Siege of Capistan. I think it's uh, a highlight of the book and uh, yeah. a, a high point in the series, if you ask me. Ha, uh, jo- join us on Discord. It's uh, <laughs> we need we need human contact in these dry times, please. Preach! I am losing it out here. Um, yeah, uh, the people on my Animal Crossing island love me. You know, that's all that tweet pictures of your dogs or Peter, other you're pets never to online us. When I'm online, yeah, I live in it's Japan. Almost like he lives across the you? world. <laughs> <laughs> also, I will accept. I'll gladly accept people's pet pictures. We got uh, so, one of our listeners sent us a picture of his cat once, and that was like an absolute treat. So, Please do. Yes. I love cats, also dogs, but mostly cats. Anyway, um, obviously, we really hope everyone's staying safe. I know it's a hard time for everyone, and um, yeah, I think uh, you know, I've got I've got nothing else comforting to say. So, yep. Josh, do you maybe want to say something funny or interesting? Uh, no. See, it's not as easy as you'd think it'd be. You know, I already I I look. I've said some things this episode, so I'm I'm just waiting <laughs> for it. So, <laughs> alrighty. Um, well, of course, we're ten very big books at Gmail and Twitter. Um. Let us know what you think of the show or the Siege of Kapistan or uh, anything on your mind. Of course, you can reach out to us. And I think that's it. Goodbye, friends. <gasps> Stay safe. Bye. Yeah, next week we're reading... We're reading this book. 18, AJ will do it. 19. <laughs> AJ will tell us. 18, 19. Eventually we'll stop at the chapter point, you know? Yeah. Alrighty. Uh, goodbye. Bye. What an ending. Nailed it again. Hello, everyone. Producer AJ here, feverishly checking my turnip prices. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, We're nearly to the end of Memories of Ice, and we are getting really excited uh, for some of the stuff that we have for you in the off-season, so stay tuned in the coming weeks for that. If you want to chat with us, you can always tweet us at 10VeryBigBooks, or you can join our Discord at bit.ly slash VBBDiscord. That's capital V, capital B, capital B, capital D, Discord. The link will also be in the show notes. As always, thank you very much to Dan Gesrick for making our spectacular logo. You can follow him on Twitter at Dan Gesrick for the hottest The Strokes takes. And of course, the wonderful music in today's episode is by the one and only Amaranthin from their album Simulant Rain, which you can find along with their other music on Bandcamp.com. Links to their pages will be in the show notes and 10 very big books. We'll be back in two weeks on May 1st. Uh, with chapters 18, 19, 20, and 21 of Memories of Ice. We will talk to you then, and thank you so much for listening.
Also, as a quick non-podcast note, well, earlier the podcast, there is a good chance I will have to pause for a moment. My coworker is bringing me some fresh biscuits. Oh, I love that. Yeah, pretty hype.